0: Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love.
1: Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan and the big, short and moneyball author Michael Lewis.
2: Hello there, and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove, and today joined by Mark Douglas and Chris Woff. And I think we are in perhaps the most freezing room in Chronicle Towers. Uh, Mark is shivering. Cold. It's either the cold or it's the uh, result that happened over the weekends. It the wasn't chill, the, uh, winds
3: blowing through St James's Park at the moment. Yeah.
2: Painting the absolute positive picture there. Um, yeah, it wasn't the best result. There was signs of positivity maybe going forward, but yeah. overall. Another bad day for Newcastle. Um, despite the celebrations, which looked fantastic before and the flag displays, but Newcastle in a bit of a rut, Mark.
3: Yeah, and I think what what like when now the dust settled and maybe some of the kind of immediate debates have finished. One of the um, most disappointing aspects of Saturday was Newcastle have lost the ability to dig it out, which they had last season. They did a lot of that in the back end of from January to the end of the season. But um, they were what, 50, when Gale scored about seventy nine minutes was it or seventy? It was around the seventy. Seventy first, I think. Seventy first minutes. He so had nineteen minutes there um, for Newcastle to either go on and win the game or to get a draw. And you know, with four minutes to go, what were they thinking? And what what collectively had happened to Newcastle United for them to be caught completely out as they were for that third goal? Um, yeah, I it, don't know if it was by accident
4: or design, but they were just so open. That so the whole open, game. Was yeah. and,
3: and and you know, look, yeah, okay, you go, you go looking for a win against Leicester. If you've won two out of the last five or something, and you're, you're safely mid-table. Then I understand, you go for the win. But Rafa's always been quite pragmatic as Newcastle United manager, and you would think that there would have been an attempt to strengthen the team to say, right, we'll settle for this point or we'll, we'll be a little bit cautious, as they were against Liverpool earlier in the season, but they didn't. And and um, they're in real trouble. They're in real, real trouble at the moment because I can't see where the next point is coming from from Newcastle United. I'm not particularly optimistic about tomorrow. Um, I'm a little bit of a glass-half-empty kind of guy sometimes when it, when you get into a run like this because it's difficult to get out of it. They're not going to go to Arsenal and get anything because Arsenal have won 100% of their games at the Emirates. Then it's West Ham who've picked up as well, and then you are looking at kind of it's Brighton, isn't it? On oh, no, it's Man- sorry, Manchester, Manchester City. City. Uh, you know, it's a, it's worrying. I understand why people are getting why people are getting worried. You know, they have to get something from uh, this game, and they have to get something from West Ham because those are the only two games where I can really see them picking anything up in the next four. Um, the team underneath them started winning as well. I think the one thing you would say about Saturday was, and the one thing you would say about this entire run, it looks extremely bad on paper because it is extremely bad on paper. They aren't a great team, we know that, but you go through all of those results, and they've been in those. Get all of those games. They've given themselves platforms in all of those games. They are good enough to get into, put into get into uh, play, uh, places where they can get something out of the game. What's really been worrying for the last few weeks has been how unprofessional they've been in a lot of situations they you know there's more you can get out of this team i don't necessarily, i don't think they're a great a great group but you can get more out of this group they are better than this what is going on in the last three or four games for them to throw goals away as they have to
4: i think that's where the naivety and the lack of premier experience comes in because it always seems, particularly on Saturday, sort of as soon as Newcastle conceded, suddenly the, 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 it wasn't just the momentum shifted that Leicester gained confidence, it just seemed to evaporate from Newcastle. Everything they did so well for 20 minutes yeah, for just 20. suddenly got in The amount of times over the last few weeks, Manchester United away for 40 minutes, they were excellent. Chelsea away, they started 15, 20 well. Minutes. Bournemouth. And Bournemouth. And then it's, and, and even Wofford, the first 15 minutes, they yeah. were in the game. And then suddenly they just particularly want to concede but but it just seems as soon as something goes against them there is that and that's what, what Benitez wanted in the summer he wanted a bit of that to, to bring up and help the yeah. the, the uh, young players he has but that is, has that is been and gone we're in the current situation we're in and I think that, that realistically we can't even look forward to January and I don't even mean that in positive sense. I don't even think we can look ahead to January yet because there's six games between now and in January the mm. 1st, and I think that's always been forgotten about. People are talking about January rightly, people are talking about Ashley needs to go rightly. But there's six games that Newcastle need to try and get some points mm. from between now and then. It's almost been forgotten that yeah. by that stage of the season, Newcastle are going to have played 20 matches. That's more than half of the season gone. They need to, they need to sorry, it would be 22 by that stage. They need to make sure they collect points between now and then. Or everyone within the collective unit needs to step up Rafa, the players, everyone. Mm. And look, there are mistakes. And he's been dealt a bad hand, but they need they need results and they need yeah. them now, and they need to to stop the momentum quickly. Rafa's got to improve.
3: There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, I've written a long piece today and um, about you know the criticism of Rafa putting it in some kind of context and explaining why. You know, to, to for anybody, I don't think anybody's saying for him to go, but but explaining his importance in the context of Newcastle. But there's no doubt in the last six weeks, the manager hasn't had his best six weeks. There's, I, I, you know, I, I'm a huge admirer of a lot of the work the meticulous work that he does but there's, there's been a lot of things that you could pull up in the last few weeks and you know the substitutions on Saturday didn't affect the game you know, in the way that they did I think one of the surprising things has been that after West Brom Shelby came on, Mitrovic came on changed the game, did well Shelby has not featured from the start since now I know that there are problems you know that, that Shelby is not the perfect um, player in terms of sometimes there's some moments of one He wasn't playing that well before then, um, but it does seem strange. There's some strange decisions in there. Like certain players are almost bulletproof, whereas others, you know, others he, he can feels like he will take them out because they're not as tactically. You know, in his mindset as possible. But then some of those players are making the mistakes. Matt Ritchie is one of his favourites, but he's made a lot of mistakes in the last few weeks. Look, I think he's a good player and I think you've got to keep stick with him. But he's made a lot of mistakes, Mm. but he's stayed in the team. You know, Shelby has made a few mistakes. He's out of the team. Lejeune, you know, Clark came out of the team straight away when he made he had a bad game against Liverpool. Lejeune's had three bad games now, I'd say, in a row. Looked, I think it looks like he's catching up with him a little bit. Um, a good player and a good team you know uh, maybe needs themselves there but um, you know he, he's I, I understand there's nothing you, you can't you can't really drop Lejeune if, if you know they haven't got a lot of options but they've got Chancellor and Bember who gets punished every time he makes a mistake Lejeune makes a mistake and he's not, he's not got and that's the kind of thing I think that then undermines the kind of collective idea that, that Rafa did done really well last season which was that everybody has to fight for every every week to play was always going to be a testing year this year. Um, you have to kind of get your head down and just think everybody makes mistakes when you haven't got the level that's good enough because you, you're kind of searching for a, a solution and then you make a mistake because you're searching for a solution that, that, that's not there. Um, and in some ways, Newcastle have improved a lot since Rafa changed everything because they look a lot more dangerous. They look like they're going to score goals now. But that's been forgotten because they're lose, losing so many goals. But they do look a lot more dangerous. You know they, they've scored now the second most highest number in the bottom half of the division, below Stoke, with a strike force that isn't good enough. So they are kind of looking a lot more effective in that way, but they're conceding so many goals and so many soft goals yeah. that they're, they're not giving themselves a chance.
4: They've only conceded eleven in the first uh, eleven yeah. in the first eleven games, or maybe ten in the first eleven games. They've conceded 10, fifteen in
2: the last me. five. And no surprise, uh, Jamal Lasalle has been the man who's been missing since mm-hmm. the Palace game. They've, Conceded, I think
4: six, 16 in seven yeah games. the thing about Lascelles is I don't even just think it's the fact that he was in form and, and playing well defensively and not like going over a game I think it is the leadership out there as young as he may be as well he's the one voice and I think that the problem is you, you looked on Saturday and there was a lot of players arguing at certain mm-hmm. times and you, 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 to a certain degree you want that but it's not normal you take an ownership of the situation and they have lacked that out on the pitch and I, I don't think you'd see the team collapse necessarily as much if Lacelles was in there, but the the problem they're gonna have with Lacelles coming back is he's got no match fitness at all. So he, he didn't come on on Saturday. Is he is he gonna start against Everton? Well, in, in one part you said yes, you'd love him to, but on the on the other side, how much can you really offer if he isn't if he hasn't got that match fitness? It's, he hasn't played in more than a month.
2: It's also the kind of injury where if he comes back too early, because it's, it's yeah. his ankle, isn't it? If it's if he comes back too early, you risk doing more damage than he's out for the. Christmas period in, into January, where mm. you know the games are even coming thick and more thick and fast. Very much so. I
3: don't think he'll play the next two games. I don't think he'll, I don't think you'll see him until potentially West Ham, because I, I just think that you know I'd be really surprised if he if he if he brings him in for the midweek game. I mean, if he, it feels like he's very being very cautious with with all of them, really. I mean, he didn't bring Marino back until he was absolutely sure that he was ready to play. Dominic still isn't uh, Well, Moreno doesn't
2: Mourinho doesn't look fit though, does he? He looked, very, he looked like a passenger at times on, on Saturday in my yeah I think it was
3: yeah I, I, I don't know whether it was fitness I mean he did say didn't he after the Chelsea am um, still not 100% um, but it, yeah he, he didn't have I didn't I didn't think he had a particularly good game on Saturday I thought he looks like the only Newcastle player at the moment who can pick a pass which is why it's sort of strange that Chelsea's not there but By the same token, you know, you kind of think like he needs somebody in there alongside him. I mean, really, like, it looks to me like they need to go back to, you know, getting that midfield strengthened again because the teams are just walking through them at the moment. The midfield is just, you know, I mean, it was the same against Chelsea. It was the same on Saturday. Like, you know, they're getting caught. There's
2: a lack of organisation and discipline.
3: Everything's wrong really with that midfield at the moment, and it can get put right. You know, look, one good result, and, and we'll have a very different. If they beat Everton on, on, on Wednesday, it's going to feel very, very different. You know, look, if they'd have won on Saturday and they had chances to win on Saturday, mm. they'd have been 11th in the league. I mean, it wouldn't have been a mirage that, you know, it's like Huddersfield win, picking, picking up the odd win in five or four and are keeping their heads above water because they're getting the one win that they need to get. They're beating Brighton, they beat West Brom. Um, and then they're, they're showing in between that they're not a Premier League team, on this field. But Newcastle are kind of like not a Premier League team either, and they're not picking up the wins. They, you know, West Brom. I think that was big two points drops. Actually, looking back now, it felt like a point one, but it, now it looks like two points drop because they can't they can't buy a win anywhere, can they, West Brom? Um, and Newcastle, the you know, it, it, it is a problem that their midfield is. The midfield is probably where we thought they were probably going to be strongest, but it's actually now looking like a weakness because the way that Rafa's reorganised things, um, the defence is made up of players who aren't, I think, um, natural at that level. If you brought the cells back in, you have had Dumb at left back. He um, had struggling a lot, but but that is a team I think, and the goalkeeper doesn't look. He doesn't look like he knows what goalkeeper he wants. Darlow came back in, had a really good game of Chelsea, didn't look great on Saturday. It's it's a problem that, that you, you know it's like whack a mole, isn't it? You know you pick, you solve one problem, another one pops up because that's what happens when you're you're in this situation. You're losing a lot of games, confidence is going, and the team
2: on. Chris, really you know Rafa's message tends to be in the last over the last few weeks. It's tend to go back to the summer transfer window. You didn't get who you wanted. The quality's not there. You know how are the players affected by that? Because you can keep banging that drum, but. He's also got to improve the players on the pitch. He's got to, He's still got to grind the results out, and they're two separate issues, surely.
4: They are. And in fairness to him, he, he has reiterated that from as soon as the window closed. He said, "Look, these are the players. I'm going to improve them." I don't know how great it is for their morale that they keep hearing that that, that they would have brought that he basically would have rolled out other players that some of them would have gone. I think that's part of the issue is that there's four or five players in, in that squad who Benitez said to back in July, "You're not part of." this going forward you're going to be i not going to bring other people in but he couldn't get them off the books and he couldn't sign others and so he has players within that squad Carl Dalo being one of them who knew they were told they were going elsewhere and yet they are still there and they're being asked to, to be part of it Mitrovic as well only made six substitute appearances all season hasn't even played the, the entirety of a full game he's only played 89 minutes um, and so that is, that is all part of the issue uh, Chancellor Mbemba you can see clearly doesn't fancy uh, the, the one decision that's really bemused me over the last few weeks, which admittedly I wasn't at Chelsea, but to go five at the back when they haven't done it at all at Stamford Bridge and bring Chancellor and in, who he doesn't seem to trust anyway, to play in that back three, thats that was I found that a bizarre decision. St- the, don't get me wrong, I know for a fact that they have practised it in training, but for the first time to do it at Stamford Bridge... Yes, it probably was right off of a game, but why? Why play a five? I just that that was the one decision which really did bemuse me.
2: But Mbemba again didn't let anyone down, and every time he seems to have played, um, he's, he's done alright. Why isn't he?
3: Why isn't mean, he putting in the team? He was.
2: He, he, he did make a mistake. I think at
3: Stanford Bridge. I, I, I mean, I think the thing with Mbemba is he just. I think it's the communication thing, isn't it? He doesn't think like. I mean, his English isn't great, yeah. and it's this kind of, you know, continual thing of like with Rafa. I think you get. You know he keeps giving the army chances because although he doesn't, he's not necessarily playing that well. Um, he's not. I think he feels with Bemba and Mitrovic that they make mistakes which are catastrophic errors that basically kill you. That kill you out of the game. Uh, Mitrovic being, you know, the red card incident. You know, be earlier this season being a, a big, a big example of that. I mean, you know, look, every manager has their. Has their kind of favourites, and I think Rafa is a lot more democratic than a lot of other managers that Newcastle have had, and it's it's been a big help for Newcastle because it has um, given the younger players more of a voice and more authority and influence. But you know, he has got he has definitely got um, you know blind spots in terms of like players he just doesn't fancy. Jack Colback is a you know a Premier League calibre. Midfielder on his day, you know he, he he plays he's played a lot of Premier League games. So when Rafa talks about not having players with experience of the Premier League, he's got one who he's told not to grace the training ground. So there is you know you're always going to have when you make decisions um, ones that look very odd. And I think you know he's no different in that. And we all you know he, he has to make some big judgment calls with Newcastle United because he had to um, try and kick things on. Over the last two years, you know, it wasn't like he was bringing in, uh, you know, taking over a team like Everton where Allardyce is coming in and he's got immediate short term fixes to sort out, but not a long term decline which Rafa has had to kind of wrestle with. So he's had to make some pretty big, bold calls to try and change the whole momentum and the whole direction of Newcastle United, which, he, which are decisions that he's made. Um, and now you're kind of like, you know, look, previous managers have done this where they've kind of they've Gone for little short-term fixes and tried to, you know, you know, almost like amend the little leaks that have come out by saying, right, okay, I'll bring Gufran back in, or i bring Anita back in, or I'll, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that. Like, you know, th- you can see it from previous managers; they were tr- always trying to, you know, make a short-term, short-term solution. And Rafa, what Rafa's dealt with is he's tried to make a long-term, longer-term project about bringing in a culture. So he's got rid of some of the players that he doesn't think bought into the culture. Everybody's sitting here telling how great they think Mitrovic is, but if you wanted a disciplined culture, a guy who's been sent off as many times as he has isn't part of it. And he felt that Mbemba was not on board with what Newcastle were trying to do. You know, there were a lot of players that he felt like were in that were in that boat. I think he felt with Colbach, told him he could go, that he didn't feel Colbach was... In showing the interest in, in going, and he was like, "Look, you can't have players like that." If I tell them they've got to do something, they have to respect me as a manager. And he had enough authority at the start of the season to do that. The problem comes when you start to lose games because then every, certainty just evaporates, doesn't it? Like we, you know, if you keep making bad mis- bad calls and the team keep losing, you, everybody, you know, that is the nature of football management. You know, he suddenly looks like a very vulnerable coach as opposed to. A, in Rafa, we trust coach. Um, but you have to consider, like, that this is a guy who's, you know, made a lot of these calls over the years, and, you know, his record. And I know people hate hearing this who don't rate Rafa. Um, they hate hearing about his experience and record. But it, it that's that is a consideration. It's a big consideration. Um, and, you know, like I, I understand when people, people, you know, like like you said, Andrew, there the two things are different and they are and he needs to start and he needs to get he needs to get some results and he needs to start he needs to come up with a formula that works but you know the the problem comes when if he just shuts up and just accepts it that's what McLaren did that's what Pardew did that's what Carver did and that's why Newcastle are in the mess they're in because you had successive managers who were complicit with what the ownership was doing didn't raise it didn't kick up a fuss didn't remind supporters of it they took the flak, walked off with their payoffs. The club beats on, and we get to a situation where Newcastle have been in four rotations out of five.
4: And you, you, you just look at the current situation, and, and undoubtedly, Rafa needs to step up. I think they've lost the defensive solidity which served them so well early in the season, partly because he's been trying to rectify the lack of goals, partly because of LaSalle's injury, various so other. Reasons, and he needs to step up. But then you just think, well, what? What is the alternative? Yeah, you, that's a you, very big point. It, it's not even. It's not even just the, the fact that that it, you can search for it, you scratch around for alternative You look at some of the other places. West Brom sacked the manager, didn't know who they were going to get. So eventually got Alan Pardew. Everton waited weeks before, and they they tried to get some reasonably ambitious appointments. Didn't didn't get anyone in. You, you look at some of the other clubs who, who sacked manager West Ham, bringing David Moyes. Uh, you've had you've had other situations where you've been waiting several weeks. It's not it's not like there's there's a whole queue of managers you definitely want, and certainly not ones long term. Yeah, oh, Tony Pulis available. Well, great. Oh yeah, he might come in, and, but what, what? I mean, then we're going to be in the same. Even if this, even if Newcastle stay up, they're going to be in the same situation next summer. And they're going to think, well, we've just got rid of a world class manager. It, yes, undoubtedly, Rafa shouldn't be beyond criticism, and there are certainly mistakes he's made. We've all highlighted them here, but you have to. It has to be. Contextualise and has to be within. Look at the bigger picture here.
2: One positive, Dwight Gale, he looked very good on Saturdays in amongst the goals. Um but you're a big fan of Josley. You think him and Gale are working quite well? <laughs>
4: oh I think that's, I think that's, that's stretching things slightly. I'm a big fan. I think that the two. would I'd call it a double positive. I saw on on Saturday that the four four two formation has been has featured four times and it's brought four defeats. So in that sense, it hasn't been great. But in terms of the understanding between the two of them, I think that is improving game on game. I'd say the two players who were positive, other than Jacob Murphy, there were flashes again. I'd say Gale was undoubtedly Newcastle's man in the match. He looked dangerous, he looked hungry, he looked back to that sharp best. But I think part of the reason for that is Hossloo and the understanding he brings. Um, Look, he's ungainly, he's never going to be prolific. Um, He isn't everyone's cup of tea. And I fully understand that but what he does do is he is he plays those little balls through to Gale, he, he pulls defenders from side to side I don't think Dwight Gale is suited to playing up front by himself particularly at home games in the Premier League I don't think he gets the opportunities in the space and defenders make mistakes like they're doing in the championship I think he needs someone up there alongside him and I think Hasslo can be that man and also once I do find a solution to, to this whole four four two I think it can almost become a four two three one because I think Hoslo can come a little bit deeper and he, he almost does defensively and become an extra midfielder and I think going forward that is one positive because at least Newcastle now are looking like they can score goals Gale looks like he can score at this level
2: Some people mark asking why not Mitrovic instead of Josser because we've seen last season Norwich game Mitrovic came on arguably changed the game he set up Gale for the, I think for the, the winner or the equaliser You know, they've shown in glimpses that they can work together so is it Rafa doesn't trust him that's the end of it bottom line or is it because you know Josh Lewis just better suited? Well, I think he thinks Josh Lewis better,
3: better suited. Um, you know, there, there was there's two partnerships actually that Newcastle have used before that actually sort of did bring a few goals at the Premier League level. Um, Chris just mentioned one there, but there was also Perez and Mitrovic who played together under McLaren and Mitrovic obviously scored nine goals that, that season, um, and you know looked, I thought looked that that season like he, you know, there was the making of a player there. It's obviously not worked out for him since, but because I think the manager does, just doesn't fancy him. Um, I just feel like the Mitrovic debate is it, kind of like it's been killed dead by Rafa, basically because he just he's not not going to play him, is he? And he brought him on for like, how many minutes? On, three. Three minutes on Saturday. You know, it's it's difficult. I, I don't. I, for me personally, and this is again, you know, with the with the everything we've said about the manager, I don't understand it. I don't understand why. <laughs> you know there's been times when the game's been running away from Newcastle or they've needed something attacking wise Bournemouth was a great example why not bring him on you know and I understand that Rafa would say oh well we'd lose the game well you lost the game anyway so it's not like it was a um, it's, I, I, I just think he, they're not easy okay I understand he doesn't want to start it
2: that's fine but he can be an impact substitute we saw against West Brom He came on and the defence yeah. did more than he did more than Joshua did in that game.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, he, I mean, I was at the West Brom game and, and, and he did make a bit of an impact, but I think it's been overplayed as to how much of an impact he made. Not he, kind of was, an he was all right, he, but he, he's not like he didn't he didn't have a shot, I don't think. It's not like he looked yeah, like he was, was
3: going to well, score. Whereas at Watford, where he did miss two chances in the box, I think we're only micro analysing his performance because we're kind of like looking for a reason why Rafa doesn't want to play him. Because I don't think we maybe micro-analyse the performance of somebody else when they come on, you know. Because I think it's, I think, I think basically Rafa like has created a situation now where it's impossible for Mitrovic. Because yeah, it is. The, 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 he, There's now such a lightning conductor that his the people who were like, look, well I can see where Rafa's coming from. are like highlight his flaws, and he, he's got a few flaws. You know, he has got a few, few flaws, but he can't. He, he can't win, can he? It's just he has to go in January. He has to go in January if the manager stays anyway um, say if the manager leaves in on December the 29th or whatever then obviously you know you, you keep him and say I'm sure a new manager would, would fancy a go um, it's just it, it's weird isn't it like it, there's always these debates at, at football clubs and, and the Mitrovic one is just it's, it's baffled me because I, I don't I don't I know Rafa's explained it to us time and time again about what, about what it is and it's about the discipline and working hard and think sometimes Mitrovic loses sight of it he's got a lot of red cards and all that but you know he's an international striker and Newcastle haven't got many of them Um, so I don't understand it personally
0: but I I understand
3: why Rafa's not doing it but I don't I would do the
4: same <laughs> I don't think any of us do but at the same and I understand why it keeps coming up A, a player always looks better the, the less the player the more they're on the, the sidelines it tends to be a player with long term injury might not have been fancy before how many people criticised Paul Dummett last season but suddenly he's going to be one of the big saviours and he comes back I think Dummett did a good job last season I think he will make an, an impact but there's been a lot of people who criticised him Mitrovic is similar but You just have to look at the the amount that he's played to see that it it just isn't going to work for whatever reason. And I think that it it almost takes up too much time. of It's it's a distracting factor in itself, partly created by Rafa. If you're not going to play him, don't even put him on the bench. Because there's only two players who who featured this season in the Premier League who've played fewer minutes. And one of them's Rolando Arons. The other one is Paul Dummett, who would have played a lot more if he had. He's only played 89 minutes. If you're not going to play him, don't put him on the bench. Don't bring him on for the for the three minutes when you could see he brought him on as a token gesture because he knew at that point the game was basically gone. I just I, that That's the one thing I don't understand about it. If he doesn't fancy him, don't even have him on was the Was it bench. a message, do you think? A message to him? I, I mean, I, I don't really know because he, he, he keep, we keep hearing that he doesn't want to alienate him because he might need him because, say, if Hossalu got injured tomorrow and then Gale on Saturday, Mitrovic is going to have to play, but I mean, Mark and me were talking, were chatting about this earlier. I have to agree with what Mark was saying that if he brings him in now, well, why is it going to be any different? He's, he's, he clearly knows he's not fancied. Why, why would it be any different if he mm. says, "Look, I'm probably going to sell you in January," because his agents already been doing all the, the rounds trying to trying to put him mm. out there. He's been linked to to various different clubs. There's certainly interest from abroad. He was linked to West Ham this week. So
3: it was. I think it was the claim in the Daily Mail was that he'd been offered to West Ham now. yeah I don't think Newcastle are offering no. him around to West to, to a direct relegation rival, but clearly his agent is, is hitting the phones, as he has been for the last twelve months, hitting the phones trying to find out where there is interest in, in Mitrovic. But the problem is Mitrovic is on a massive contract at Newcastle United. His agent has got a lot of interest in him on loan basis, which, you know, Newcastle are unlikely to sanction unless they have a ready-made replacement ready to go which which you know they would be asking for for a sizable fee now when you're talking about Anderlecht or um, Partizan Belgrade who are both the two teams that mentioned that they haven't got the money to, to pay to pay a, that kind of fee so it's going to be difficult and, and this is why I'm kind of like you know a little bit reticent to say January is going to save Newcastle United because you know they're going to have to be really proactive from the minute that the, well from kind of like before the transfer window really and, and
4: well, they, they are don't even know what budget he's getting and that's, not, that's, that's just, not a Mike yeah. Ashley trade during no. the transfer window is it? To- no
3: I mean it's what what to me it looks like is that he's probably going to they're probably going to have to do some, some player trading again in January and, and you know it, it worries me that because I think that you know, you're know you going to get weeks and weeks are going to go past you, you get a bit of you get a bit of a bye week don't you in the January because you get the third round of the cup so you get a bit of time They'll play a weekend team in that in that Luton game, and then they'll come into the next game. So they've got about like ten days, isn't it? And they really um, yeah. need they really need two or three players in by then. I
4: think it might be Swansea at home. I think. Swansea
3: at home. Well, I that's absolutely huge. And but we saw last time that you know it was Newcastle had a lot of money last time, but they couldn't get the player. The, the three they needed three, they got two, and they, if they'd had a striker, I think they probably would have stayed up. Um, but they spent what was it twelve on Shelby about 10 on Townsend. Um, 12 on Townsend as 22 million, and then they... The Savvy as well. Savvy, which was about 6 million. Yeah. <laughs> Just smile on your face when you mention Savvy. Uh, almost 30 million, and then they got Dumbia at the end as well, but they were willing to put in money to get Barahino, so it could have been up to like 40 million they would have spent in January. That's more than they spent this summer. That Now, and they haven't got that money. You know, unless Mike Ashley puts the money in himself or the Stavey deal gets a bit further forward and she or her group agree some kind of deal where they put money in or there's money made available that way, Um, it's gonna be a hard month in terms of January. So really the improvements have to come from within and they have to get, I think that the best scenario would be that they pick up enough points between now and January to keep out of the bottom three. Then they bring in one or two, three players with enough quality to inject bit Into it, you know, it's something there Danny Ings will probably come in. I think I think that deal, I'm hearing that that deal was likely to happen or could very, very good chance of that happening. Um, then they look around at the other young players that they could maybe get in, um, you know, Ben Woodburn, somebody like that. I mean, although you know, then you would have two loans from one club, so nothing you can do, or well, I'm not sure.
4: I'm not sure you can do two from one club, no, um,
3: but so it would be, you know, it, it, they'll look around for those kind of players and. You know, Rafa has, has some players but in mind, but you know, what they really need, like you said, is some experienced Premier League quality.
0: This is ACAST Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love.
1: Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Millerband. A baby podcast, that is. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Now that is going to be hard to come by. So, you know, look, it it really is going to be like you know it's going to be hard for the next few weeks but they, if they can get something tomorrow it changes the whole picture and it becomes a lot a lot of a different a different situation
2: we'll get into the Everton game in just a bit but lots of questions on social media you could even call them concerns worries we from fans with the tape over that it's dragging on will Mike Ashley back I think we've all written pieces in the last week saying you can't really afford not to um, but then it is Mike Ashley he's shown before that he was willing to gamble mm. it hasn't worked you know. we've seen it at Shira. we've seen it when he came in as manager we've seen it last time Newcastle were relegated Mark do you think he will put his hand in his pocket? Um, I think there'll be some funds yeah
3: I think there'll be some funds I think I think that uh, there'll be sort of a, a a budget that allows Newcastle to, to kind of pl- to trade and then they'll probably sell one or two as well I think there will be some money there yeah but, they, but it's not just about money for Newcastle it's about being proactive and being you know really good in the transfer market and the problem has been in the last few windows not necessarily that that even Lee Charney can't negotiate the deals it's that deals are getting lost in the post because Justin Barnes had to go through the fine tooth comb you know go back you no know, we can't do that deal because of this we can't do that deal because of this um, now what has to happen in in January is for basically just the, the green light to be given to say we're gonna just back the manager's judgment on this and we're just gonna go through it and we're gonna let okay, it looks a bit expensive that deal, but we're gonna let it happen. Um and that's the key. It's not necessarily about money, because I think there will be funds available to do it, to do deals, but but maybe not, you know, maybe not big deals, there'll be money there to do deals, but then it has to be or it has to be a from Mike Ashley because he says he's not involved, he is, because he's got his eyes and ears there in Justin Barnes and he has had for 12 months. Mike Ashley, if he's still there, needs to basically say go and do it and you know the takeover situation is all well and good and you know everybody I know is asking questions about it and we you know we know we know that it's there the deal the price hasn't been agreed until the price is agreed can't get on to the next next step I think it will be but January to me is looking like that It won't happen before then I mean we're now 11th, 12th twelfth of December 12th it's not going to happen is it
2: that uh, Chris if Rafa does need to sell um, players can he afford them? because the squad is already maybe lacking in not necessarily lacking in bodies but lacking in, in, in quality but he's likely to sell probably Mbemba probably Mitovic and you could argue they're probably two of the most talented players that he's not. He, obviously he's not playing but they are two talented players if you look at the rest of the squad in comparison maybe. well you
4: say he's likely to sell them I think he'd like to sell them but I think there's a difference is that a, he needs to, to have willing buyers who are going to give him... He's only, there's only a point in selling them if he's going to get money in to, to bolster what he's going to get. And that's been the problem with Mitrovic over the last three windows, is they've been quite willing to sell them, but they've mainly had loan offers and no real money. If, they, if someone comes on and says he has £10 million plus for Alexander Mitrovic early in the window, I don't think there'll be any hesitation from Benitez as long as he thinks he can get someone else in. And that's the key. And that's why January is such a difficult window anyway. And you can't... What Newcastle really need to do is reshape their squad in January, which is very, very difficult. You're meant to do the, the vast majority of, of, of your base work in the summer, which is what Benitez wanted to do. And then in January, you might add one or two players if you've got an injury, or you might get a player ready for next season like you want to do with Townsend and, and, and Loftus-Cheek. Uh, last January, but what Newcastle need to do is, base- is basically find players who are going to come in and make an impact immediately. Townsend did that last time when, um, when in 20, uh, fifteen sixteen. Shelby didn't quite hit the ground running. Savvy didn't do anything, and uh, Dunbia, The less said, the better. Um, so, if he, he he probably does need to sell to buy if he wants to, to do the changes he needs to make. But at the moment, he doesn't even know specifically the budget he's going to get he knows the figures that him and Mike Ashley sat down and discussed in May from Benitez's side he believes that he still has significant funds available well significant I say certainly 20 million plus Um, but whether that is is going to be given to him is is a different matter entirely he thought that he had money to spend last January Mm. that didn't turn out to be the case he thought in the summer he was going to be able to make wholesale changes that didn't turn out to be the case so in terms of Mitrovic and Mbemba, it's very much like the situation over January and the takeover in general it's a case of ifs, buts and maybes at the moment and that is the problem that all this uncertainty has created partly the takeover, partly January and I don't think that either of the, t- the two parties in the takeover have dealt with the situation particularly well, I understand what Stephen is trying to do to a certain extent just trying to put pressure on Ashley to try and get him to sell, but at the same time that is, I think destabilised things even further be has become a, a total distraction. I think Ashley's lawyer putting the desire to sell before Christmas tag up didn't help because it, it pressurised the situation further. Every single day, every single result is suddenly impacting on the takeover and is worrying fans further. So I don't think that that is helping. I think that's, that's, a, that's just making the situation far worse. And really there needs to be resolutions to all of these issues before and January's just getting caught up in all the. Tyneside's a,
3: look. Newcastle United is a is a jumpy football club at times. You know, it, is, it, it, it like um, you know this when we don't know what's happening when there's not no certainty about what's going on. It, it, it really impacts on the football club. What what was great until last January, until that all this nonsense started, was that we knew where we stood everybody knew where they stood everybody at the football club knew that the mantra was what Rafa wants Rafa gets so he had this kind of power and authority the team were doing well so it helped but everybody knew where they stood they knew Rafa was going to be the manager they knew he was going to get funds in January they knew that the club was heading in the same direction what happened in January That, that I remember waking up on that Sunday morning after the Brentford game and um, reading the story Neil Moxley, you know, fair play to him great story in the Sunday people that he'd said Mike Ashley has created this uncertainty. Maybe no funds. We checked it out. It was, it was completely right. Since that point, I don't think there's. I think Newcastle has felt jumpy. Newcastle has felt as a jumpy football club. Um, fans are jumpy about it. The players are jumpy. The manager is jumpy, and, and it's just like and it, and there was no. Need for it. There was no need for it from the start. The issues that, that were being raised in January were pointless, ridiculous issues that didn't that didn't need to be done to destabilise everything at the football club. And, and it, that's where we are at the moment. is a very, very jumpy football club. And this takeover, I said, it's been like a permanent transfer window. I hate the transfer windows at Newcastle, where you know frustration builds, but it's been like a permanent transfer window. Every morning, every night you go to bed thinking is there going to be some ridiculous is something daft going to happen uh, because we you know are you going to get a call i mean i got a call last week i was actually off i got a call about this curry these the pictures were going to come out and, you know i got a text from someone saying just expect this to happen i just thought what is this nonsense what is this nonsense they're going for a curry together they're going to pictures all plastered all over the national newspapers it's just not the way to do business this is a serious football club You know, should be one of the biggest. It's just not the way to do football club. It's just not the way to do business, sorry. What is Richard Desmond doing there? What is Mike Ashley and his wife and Amanda Stavely and her partner doing? What is that? I mean, that's just, for me, it's just nonsense. Okay, it shows that the deal's on track. Fine. But it's nonsense. Richard Desmond then didn't even go to his own newspaper. You know, Richard Richard (laughs) Desmond, uh, I'm not going to go into what I think of you know, certain people or, or whatever. It's, it's not it's not. He knows not the, the PR place. game, I think. It's not the place, but it's just ridiculous. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's got to the point where, you know, you just think, look, just put up or shut up. Uh, and, you know, everybody's kind of treating Amanda Stavely as she's going to be some massive saviour. And, and I really hope that she is. And, and, of course, we would be really excited if it happens because it would, it would be a new chapter and stuff. But, you know, look, we don't know anything about it. There's been no talk about what's actually going to happen apart from very, very, you know, kind of ethereal stuff about what what she's going to do. And I think that what I see from Newcastle fans is that she is number one, anointed saviour who's going to turn all this around. And they're like, a lot of them now, a lot of people that I speak to now are saying, well, would you even keep Rafa if Amanda Staby was there? She's only there because of Rafa, because Rafa's people have encouraged her to come in. Now, look, let's be really realistic about what is happening at Newcastle United. We can dream of a saviour in January. We can dream of a saviour in Amanda Stavely all we want, but there's going to be a lot of legwork, a lot of spade work. is going to have to go into rebuilding Newcastle United. They can bring in players all they want. They've done that. They've spent a lot of money on players and it hasn't worked. And Newcastle United needs root and branch reform and, you know... Amanda Staley, she will need to go about running the football club better than she's gone about trying to buy Newcastle United. Um, I hope she gets it done. I'm hoping, what I hope is happening, is that she's finding Mike Ashley a very unorthodox person to deal with, so she's trying to work that way. And if she is, then that's a very savvy way of dealing with things. But if this deal falls through, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good on her, let's put it that way. If this falls through, it doesn't look good on her. She needs to clinch this deal and make sure it happens And if he's asking for a little bit more money and she thinks it's not worth it, they have to get around the table and agree it. This is months and months of horse trading now. It's like, it's almost seven or eight weeks. She's serious, she wants it, come in and buy it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous what's happening. In terms of what
4: Mark says about the United One as well, that's why I don't think she's been very savvy about this whole thing because she's, by just being pictured and being made clear that, that she wants the football club, Expectations have gone through the roof in some areas. Is oh, right, as right. we good. So I don't think she can ever fulfil that, no matter what. Hopefully, she comes in, and does extremely, extremely well with Newcastle United, and they do win things and, and whatnot. But there isn't going to be a Man City situation, or it, it would be a one in a million if there is. That was, that was. That was 10 years ago. That was such a different situation. And I don't think she's been overly savvy about that. I don't think that was necessarily the smartest thing to do. Although I think it's part of of trying to buy the club off, Mm. Ashley. But the second thing about Mark says about destabilising relationships, one thing which I think has been missed over the last few months, which I think is important, is one relationship which has become destabilised, not the point of breaking point, but it's certainly not close it was, is Benitez and Charnley. That was such a close relationship in the summer of 2016 and the two of them were together they trusted each other and all of the confusion which came about in January and all the confusion which came about in the summer now when you speak to Benitez it used to be him and Charlie would have breakfast together they'd, speak to, they'd be on the phone all the time now he's oh I spoke to Lee Charlie a few days ago oh I need to have a meeting with Lee Charlie just to talk about January there was none of that before that is a relationship which is not as strong as it was before. And it's a one, given that Lee Charnley isn't theory the management be me in charge. Justin Barnes is there, so undermines everything he does really is destabilising part of the football club. It's a mess. It's a it is an utter
3: mess that has been allowed to just you know feel like keep going by Mike Ashley. You know, okay, like I was maybe a bit harsh on Amanda Staveley there because we don't know anything really about her. Um, I just feel like I just feel like I want people to be a little bit realistic about what she can do and what and what you know where she is with this at the moment as well. But it's Mike Ashley's fault because if you put the football club up to sell it and you get a serious offer and Amanda say offer is serious, it would be a profit for Mike Ashley. It would represent um, a profit on a club that he has, you know, turned into like a club that is now a yo-yo club between the Championship and Premier League. Is not fit for purpose in the Premier League. It, he he has t- he has done that on his watch. Whether he's been directly responsible for it or not is neither here nor there. Because on his watch it's happened. He's got a serious offer from Amanda Staveley. Accept it and go. Accept it and go. It's it's done. You know you are you cannot make Newcastle United a success. All that Mike Ashley can do if he stays around is either change completely and you know start to fund the manager and start to do it properly, or lead it to a situation where they. Are barely surviving in the Premier League, or potentially even barely surviving the Championship. He's got a serious offer. Accept it and go.
4: This is where me and Mark diverge slightly. I agree with almost everything Mark said, except that the point about the profit. And I think one thing that's been missed in the whole price. I mean, we don't we don't know the exact specifics of the of the offers. There's been various different contexts of it. But if 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 the deal is 250 million pound, Mike actually doesn't actually make a profit, or he makes a very little one. You have to remember that. He didn't buy the club for two hundred fifty million pound. What he didn't buy the club for one hundred twenty-five million pound alone. There's also the fact that he would just be getting his loan back. In theory, he's getting very little profit on that. Now you can argue the toss about whether he should or not, but I think that has almost been missed in all of this. Is that if he wants to get any profit, it really has to be two hundred fifty million pound plus. Because up to then, if it is a case of you just get all your equity, you just get your loan back. As part of the deal, then he isn't actually making any profit. So I think that offers. has been lost slightly. But
3: there's offers, isn't there? So the offer, so it's the way I understand the Aston Villa takeover happens is that um, Tony Gia bought Villa for a very, very small price. But if they get into the Premier League, there's a whacking great amount to pay. Then so so t- t- so Randy Lerner, for all the faults that he had at Aston Villa, understood that he was selling a distressed football club at that point and needed to needed to sell on. Now. Mike Ashley at the start of the summer was trying to sell at a very high price because he believed that it was a very, a very high point. It was a mirage. The club was not, because he wasn't going to spend anything. He would have sold it then at, like, say, 350, 400 million. But then the people who would come in would have opened it up and gone, oh my God, there's so much investment that needs to be done. Now, what's happened with Amanda Stavey, the reason she's valued it at that, that price, which is where she's been very savvy, is she said, look, okay. I understand that you know you want to take make a profit but we've got to invest in that we've got to invest in this we've got to invest in the team we've got to invest in something else it wouldn't surprise me I'm not saying this is definitely the case I've not got any but it wouldn't surprise me if she had taken some advice from somebody at the football club maybe a raffle maybe someone close to after to say, right, how much needs to be done to this football club to make it into a Premier League, a a, grow, a going Premier League concern? She's probably worked out that there's another maybe £200 million that needs to be spent on players, facilities, all of those kind of things to, to get the club to where it needs to be. That is that is where Mike Ashley has basically like neglected the football club because there hasn't been any of that investment in infrastructure which needed to happen really for it to grow. Um, and that's why he's not going to be able to take a profit now. What's his end game if he doesn't sell for the price that he's got? The end game, what is it that he thinks that the club's suddenly going to turn around, the next TV deal's going to be huge and, he's gonna, and the club's going to be worth all this money? No, because that's the mistake they made last time. Every other club in the Premier League gets the TV money as well. So it doesn't give Newcastle an advantage, it gives them a, an advantage over the Championship. Which is why they've been able to kind of bounce back up every time. But it doesn't give them advantage over the Premier League. They need to invest in good football people with a knowledge, you know, good a good scouting system, a good academy, you know, better training facilities to to really impress players. You know, it used to be that Johan you know, Kabai would come in and they'd be like, Wow, you know, Newcastle's a huge club. Now you've got Leicester City who looked a very good team on Saturday, who've got good training facilities, you know, okay, the stadium's not as big. But they've played Champions League football more recently than Newcastle they've won the league recently. You know they've got a very good infrastructure now that has moved
2: beyond Newcastle's was it significant that nobody from Ashley's party was at the ground on Saturday considering the celebrations I mean big day, massive day was it significant? I think it showed that they're not as interested in the football club or well i think
3: I think Keith Bishop was ill wasn't he I think that was the that was what had happened um very uncertain isn't it at the moment and I think that like you know everybody around it is feeling the strain I think probably Ashley is feeling the strain as well in terms of like I think he's probably just fed up with it uh, Amanda Staley just wants the deal done Rafa just wants the deal done fans want the deal done and I think it's probably just at the moment you know the, the games aren't much fun anyway are they um so I probably not probably didn't mean that the deal's imminent but I think they would have been there if Ashley was going
2: to be. Um, briefly, Chris, um, lots of punters over the weekend. now uh, Nicole, one of the Neville brothers, I think it was Phil, came out and talked about the club but obviously the big name was Alan Shearer. He tweeted straight after the game, you know, sell before it's too late and then on match of the day two, he went into a, a massive front which I think pretty much every Newcastle fan will, will agree with what he said. Um, when Alan, Alan, he's lost patience with the club. He remained in his box despite being obviously voted into the best uh, starting eleven. The last 25 years, um, will Mike actually really care while in I Things,
4: no, I don't think he does. Um, that's part of the issue. I just think that he's so detached from it now, Mike. Actually, he doesn't care. There's been criticism for years, I think it just washes over him. He wants to sell mainly just because I think he's got interests elsewhere and he realizes that it probably long term will just become a burden on him in terms of financially. But I don't think it, I don't think the criticism matters. I don't think what anyone says is going to change anything that he does. Um, and you Look, Alan Shearer has criticised him for years. He hasn't necessarily been as blunt as he as he was over the weekend. But uh, he treated Shearer to stay in that following relegation in two thousand nine. He didn't even really get back to him when Shearer had a, a vision for taking the football club forward. And I don't think he's gonna. It's gonna bother Mike Ashley what he said over the weekend. It's certainly not gonna bother him what Andy Cole or any what Phil Neville says on on Match of the Day two or whatever on Five Live. He he really couldn't care less. It's 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 been far worse over the years in terms of when there was the boycott at the stadium leaving early and all that sort of thing and it didn't it didn't bother him then i don't think it's going to bother him now
2: significant though that the players that did make it around the pitch at half time i think was only john beresford out of the team that were voted in you know shay yes. given was there, I I was it, was there but yeah. Yeah. um yeah speed was there but you know beresford was there given was in the studio and yeah uh, the, the presenter, I can't mm. remember his name now, the Norwich fan. Uh, Jake. Humphries asked, you know, do you not want to go down? And he said, no, I'd much rather, much rather be in here. So maybe it was too cold for him or maybe that was another message, do you think? To uh, well, we, were,
3: we were at Shea, weren't we, the other week when he, he said that, you know, it was a bit of a joke really that Alan Shearer's statue's not in the grounds of the stadium. And so I think Shea's very close to Shearer still. And, you know, I think they've, you know, it was a real shame. And, and I, and I, and I you know, I think we have to kind of think it's not just it's not the football club because there's some good people yeah. at the football club, and they worked really hard on that on that oh, um, 125 year celebration, and they um, you know and it wasn't it's not on them that Shea Given and Alan Shearer weren't there that you know they asked you know Shearer was asked if to do bits and pieces and he polite very politely. Declined because his issue is not with the people who work for the fo- work at the football club. He's a you know really active with a lot of things. He, he gave a, an interview um, for the program because it was a, the Bobby Robson Foundation. So he you know he is that it wasn't you know he, his problem isn't with the football club. His problem is with Mike Ashley, and it was such a shame. I mean you know nobody's even really talked about the fact that Kevin Keegan wasn't there, and Kevin Keegan won't 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 have anything to do with Newcastle at the moment. And well, Kevin Keegan arguably. Is even more important than Shearer as as a figure at the football club. He's changed he changed the course of it twice. You're you celebrating 125 years. Kevin Keegan really should be, you know, the man there. Arguably, if it wasn't for Mike Ashley, he might even be in the dugout still because he was, you know, he would have got he would have got the longest, and he would have talked about Rafa's honeymoon. Kevin Keegan would have been allowed to do whatever, wouldn't he? And, and you know, it, it's such a shame because it's not it's not. Yeah, not not even necessarily what Mike Ashley's doing anymore. I don't think he has... I don't think he's deliberately trying to... You know, I think before they were flexing their muscles a little bit and they did make controversial decisions that that they knew were going to annoy the fans but felt they were in the best interest of the football club. I think now it's just all become like austerity. Everything's run, you know, as cheaply as they can to try and get it ready for a sale. Um, And that means that stuff like Saturday, you know... I felt, for, I felt for, I felt for Alan Shearer in some ways because he probably wanted to be down there. He probably would have wanted to be part of it. It was all. It's very difficult, you know. It's very, it's very difficult for, for you know, to, to mark 125 years when the club is, you know, arguably at a, at a lower ebb. It's not. Yeah, you know, okay, they're in the Premier League and they've got Rafa, but it's still a low ebb, isn't it? It's not. They're not credible in the Premier League at the moment, and and that has not been the case
2: really since '92. Do we all agree with the, uh, the starting eleven of the, the greatest team? I think.
4: Well, we all put in a different starting eleven, so I suppose, <laughs> I suppose, in that sense, no. I mean, it's a, it's a collective. That was the whole point of it. We all we're all going to disagree. We all have different ideas mm-hmm. of it. Me personally, I saw a different vision. I think some of the people in terms of that. First of all, I'll try again. Different eras in, but also yeah. I, I saw it as what people had specifically done for Newcastle. Others saw it like Paul Gascoigne was arguably the best midfield England's ever produced. They wanted him in the team because he came from the region. I fully understand that. So I think the fact that that eight thousand people voted for the team, I think mm-hmm. that you, you have to say it is about that. That that, that is the collective vote. Yeah. There were some large shares for some of the players, um, and I think yeah, and in, in that sense, it was it was it was deserved and, and should be celebrated.
3: Yeah, I think it was a shame that there weren't a few more from. Kind of fifties and sixties, some good, some really good players, and I think oh, you know, the twenty seventeen eighteen team. Yeah,
4: well, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, no, I think I think you know, but he was a
3: hey, it was a good team. You know, I kind of had a, I kind of had the debate with Lee about John Beresford. I was like, oh, you know, John Beresford, is, you know, should he have been in there over some of the guys in fifties and sixties? And Lee was like, look, you know, he was special. And that team, he was a good good player in that team. So, look, it's a good team, isn't
0: it?
2: And you enjoyed opening up all them envelopes and tying them up Uh, by Well,
3: that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, it was an age. It was Through the ages, the reason we did the paper ballot in the newspaper was because we knew that maybe some of the older readers might not might not get on the might not get on the internet and uh, so I opened yeah about 250 I think it was me and Stu James so I give him a shout out because he did
2: he did half of them but one uh, or two great messages as well brilliant you... we, had a,
3: we had a few lovely letters actually about what Newcastle meant to people and um, I put one of them on the, on the Chronicles Twitter feed because it was it was a really nice message and you know and we get back to it we all sit and talk but the reason it's a bit of a shame what's happening in Newcastle United at the moment is because Uh, It means a lot to people, Newcastle United, and I think it's the disrespect of the tradition that that that, uh, irks. Look, they a man could come in. um, Everton are a great example of how you know you can spend a lot of money. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily gonna. um, It doesn't mean that you're necessarily gonna be successful, does it? But you you, you can have money, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful. But you
2: just got to do things right. Shout out to obviously Leeds flags and. Uh, war flag so a brilliant uh, display uh, prior to kick off on Saturday um, to the Everton game then how, how confident are we uh, that Castle can get something out of the game
3: confident
4: uh, I'll take that as I a no chance <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I'm overly confident but they have games six games as I said, between now and January 1st the they've got Everton um, Everton looks winnable in theory West Ham they need to get something out of Brighton. Then he gets something out of Stoke. Four of the next six games are against teams you can write off. Man City and you can as well as write off Arsenal. I mean, Man City, I think, already have enough points to have finished eighth last season. That's how far ahead they are, everyone. And Arsenal, I mean, the the, the record the top six have against most of the clubs, I think. It, Look, if they get somebody brilliant, but I think it's almost a write-off. So, but for those next six games, with Everton being at home, and then three teams who are in, in around them, they have to to pick up a significant number of points from them. And so, I'm gonna, I'm I'm not overly positive going into tomorrow. I have to be honest. Because I think Big Sam would love nothing more than to come here other than getting a point on Saturday, which apparently he, he came to his press conference afterwards and said that he mastered Liverpool twice. <laughs> he said that, <laughs> even though they got hammered for the most of the game. Yeah. That, that's by the by. <laughs> so I think you'll come and I think you'll try and frustrate Newcastle. I th- I'm, I've said I've predicted 1-1 draw. I hope that's just me being pessimistic and they can win the game. But yeah, I'll go 1-1. Uh,
2: however, having watched the derby on, on Sunday Everything were awful. I thought, mm. minus that world of a pass from Rooney, and then obviously the penalty. But I thought they were awful. Lack creativity. They look open all the time. Yeah. I know you're talking. They're playing against more, like some more Salah and Co. But Newcastle should be able to give them a good game uh, tomorrow night.
3: Should yeah,
2: they should. And, and you know, they're, they're, it's a it's a winnable
3: game in in those terms. Uh, they've got some good players though haven't they? And I think that's that's what that's what worries. Newcastle have to be more savvy defensively. Definitely, they have to be more savvy defensively if they're going to they're going to get anything out of it. Um, you, know, you, you just like, I mean, the, the, a lot of the games that they've lost have actually been quite entertaining games, haven't they? Oh, you'd, Saturday you'd neutral for was a, a brilliant game. Uh, you'd settle for a sort of scrappy one or
2: is the key to stop Rooney because he seems to be the only man who's capable of of doing something for it and kind of like a Shelby for Newcastle.
4: Yes, well, I think the key actually for Newcastle is just to to make sure that they stay in the game make sure that they play for a full 90 minutes because what they're doing at the minute is they're two patchy. They have 15 Mm. minutes where they look very good and look like they're competing against even the best teams in the league and then for half an hour they look like they could be beaten by anyone Mm. Um, so yes Rooney will be important but I just think for Newcastle it's just to to reach a level and and maintain Mm. that level Um, if they can get a half time with a lead then I think that that, that that confidence will grow and they'll be able to have half-time with, with Rafa. So I think the key is to, is to get in front of the first half and make mm. sure that they're half-time ahead.
2: Fantastic. So 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. One, one. One, one. I have one, one, one. gone 1-1. One, one I've gone 2-1. I'm going to <laughs> two, go out there yeah, and do a good contract on go one, one, one. Two, one. Yeah, I'm not overly confident, but let's go 1-1. One, one. Fantastic. And just a couple of questions quickly from um, some fans. Lots about, as you might expect, Shelby and Mertovic. Um one question, I mean, is the trust broken between Shelby and, and, and Benitez? Do I don't
4: think it's broken. Uh, we've seen in the past that it's been restored. I just think at the minute, for whatever reason, Shelby seems to have done something or a, a combination of things which have frustrated Benitez, and Benitez doesn't believe mm. that's going to aid his team. I think that sooner rather than later, he probably will be back in the team um, or certainly coming on for a first. And I think you saw before the match when they were speaking to each other Seem that there were there's a mutual respect there. I don't, I don't think the trust is completely broken though. No.
2: Um, someone asking as well. Do you think they could play all three in the middle that's Hayden, Marino, and Shelby? Would that work? do You think? Yeah, I think I think they could. I think they could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think mean, it's the three
3: three across the midfield.
4: Well, I think at the moment the, the, because they're getting overrun in midfield so much potentially that it, that is an option going yeah. forward. Because I think that they are lacking bodies. I think that was what yeah. Leicester were able to do to them.
2: So, mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, well let you get off to go and speak to Rafa. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he'll give you some positive messages. Yes. And hopefully a win for against Everton tomorrow. It would be huge that, wouldn't it?
4: A win would, it would be, it would change be the huge. Whole. Well it could be eleventh if results I mean the likelihood is it would only be twelfth, but every single team in the bottom half play teams in the top half. Mm. So uh Southampton they could even leapfrog, but there'd need to be a six goal swing. Well, but six, they can go if they, no, well, well if like haven't got beat then it would only be 5-0 oh. but uh, they can go up to as high as 12th with just a win if the teams lose so that's how big a win could be yeah.
2: fantastic well thank you very much if you head over to uk for all the latest Newcastle Nighting News thank you very much for listening please remember to like subscribe and share the podcast whether that be through iTunes AudioBoom Spotify or whichever platform you may be listening through and if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at NuFC and on Facebook at the same handle, NuFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedback. So why don't you drop us a line and get in touch?
3: How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast, and this is a Staycast from ACAST. We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it
2: out.